Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at. We are in week three of a series entitled I Am. And uh, if you missed uh, the first few weeks, we want to invite you to go back. You can go to the app. You can go to our YouTube page. You can, you can check those messages out. Uh, I will give you a little bit of a recap. And uh, if you could turn me down just a hair, I feel like it's, I'm getting some reverberation up here on stage. Um, so today we're going to take a look at the third miracle uh, recorded by John, the third miracle that Jesus performs. And it's found in chapter 5, and it records the miracle of a man who is described as an invalid. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that in just a second. But as I said uh, last week, uh, the miracles recorded by John are for the purpose of showing how a person can be saved. And this is the third and final miracle that demonstrates that very uh, truth. So the water to wine that we talked about in week one, that was to demonstrate that salvation comes through the word of God. Mary told the people who were filling up the jars, she said, do whatever he tells you. Again, that is just great advice to live by. Just do whatever Jesus tells you. And then last week, the healing of the official son, it had to do with um, that healing comes by faith or belief that you have to believe that Jesus is capable because you remember the story last week the guy just showed up Jesus wasn't even in the presence and he just said your son as well and so it, it uh, points us and shows us to how salvation comes through belief and not just a hope so belief but a no so like we are confident in who God is and we are confident in what Jesus accomplished and today we're going to see a picture of salvation that comes by grace. Now let me quickly define what grace is. Grace is defined as God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor towards us. It means that our salvation has absolutely nothing to do with ourselves. We didn't earn it. There's nothing that we can do to do so. There's no works that we could uh, ever do that would allow us to stand in God's presence. And so everything uh, that we do... Um, is just simply place our faith in God and then just trust for His grace. That's what it is. God's unmerited favor, that God's rescuing love was directed towards us. And I want us to take a look at where we would see that in Scripture here in just a second. So let's pray and we're going to dive in. God, we want to say thank you so much for your love and for your grace. God, we thank you uh, for these truths that we are able to unpack that were handed down through uh, John. God, we just pray that you would teach us today through your to, through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, may we not walk out of here the same as we came in today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first passage I want to point us to is in the book of Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul, and here's what he says. For by, what's that word? That's what we're talking about today. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. That was belief. That was last week. And he says, it is the gift. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now watch this in verse 9. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Grace is the unmerited favor of God in our life. And the reason that today's message is so important is because that our, our American mindsets tell us that everything comes through hard work. How many of y'all have parents that just talked about, you just got to work hard? Anybody got a show of hands? All right, maybe that's what's wrong with our generation today. None of y'all got that message preached to you. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's like, listen, you've probably heard some of these things before. Uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Amen? Okay, evidently I'm talking to the wrong crowd today. Let's just start over. We'll teach some other things. 
Uh, how about this one? Uh, you don't get what you deserve. My kids have probably heard this before. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you work for, right? I mean, you probably heard that. Here's a, here's a couple of quotes. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, I find that the harder I work, the more luck I seem to have. Isn't that true? Yep. Uh, there was a Roman philosopher named Seneca, and he said, luck is what happens when preparation or hard work meets opportunity. Amen? All right. Heck, even Yoda said, he said this, he said, do, do or do not. Do or do not. There is no try. So I'm just quoting Yoda. How many Yoda people in the house? Lanny, Lanny Dean or wherever he's at, he was talking about using the force this morning. He was talking about, do we have to, we had to move some things. He said, do we have to do physical labor? It's like, no, if you got the force, man, go right ahead and use it. So what we do in our spiritual lives is, is uh, we inappropriately apply that truth or that teaching of the American way, that hard work, you know, and I, listen, I'm not opposed to hard work. But what we try to do is we try to translate our hard work in life, how we work for things, how we, whether it's, whether if you're an athlete, you work hard in the weight room or training and to preparing your body into being able to do effectively what you want to do. Uh, if, if you're a hard worker on your job, people who work hard on their jobs tend to get promoted over those who don't. And we inappropriately apply that message of hard work. If you, you get what you work for, we misappropriately uh, uh, or inappropriately apply that to the, our relationship with God. We falsely assume that if we do enough good works, if I, if I just do enough good works, if I attend church enough, if I go to Sunday school enough, if I give enough when the plates pass by, if I help people out in the community, if I just do some kind deeds, if I do that, then we, we can earn our way into heaven. Well, there's two problems with that, okay? Number one is a thing we call the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, again, as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not works. You cannot work your way to heaven. The second problem with that whole deal is, here's a, here's a real question that we ought to ask ourselves, right? If, if it really comes down to works, if we somehow believe that we can work our way back into God's presence, if we can do that, here's the question. This is, this is a struggle, right? You should have a hard time answering this question. How, because how many, here's the deal, how many good works does it take? How many good works are you going to have to do in order to get into heaven? Because it's not in Scripture. God never lays out, hey, if you do these things and if you do it enough, if you do it with enough repetition, if you do this many sets and this many reps, you'll get in. doesn't say that. Or how does the scale work? Is it just a, is it 50.1% and 49.9? Or is it more like a 70-30? What are, what are the scales? How do the scales work when it comes to this? Um, what if you, and here's the thing, what if you come up short? How many people, how many of you have met people who say, you know what, I'm just not ready to follow Jesus right now. You know, right now I'm just, I'm not in that place. But one day, maybe one day, well, what if that one day comes before you're ready for it? I mean, when, when does that time come? When is the deadline for when your work is supposed to be turned in? Are there, are there some works that are better than others? What works should we be doing? Do certain works weigh more than other works? I mean, does, does Sunday school attendance get me more points than just church service? And then how many church services a month do I have to come to to, be, to qualify? So that's the, that's the question. There's a whole lot of how good is good enough? How good is good enough? And these are the struggles, and we're going to see today um, how good good enough is, and there's no such thing as being good enough. Uh, it's salvation is by grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. Look in John chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1, 
And I want us to take a look at this idea, this teaching that John is going to give us about salvation is by grace. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, let's just pause right there. Look at the setup that John gives us into this text before he really even gets into the issue of dealing with the specific man. Here's what he gives us. There's a few things that I want you to notice in verse 2. First of all, he says there were five porches or five colonnades, right, listed in, in this text. The number five, if you're into the whole numerology thing, the number five in Scripture, it literally points to grace. It's the number of grace in Scripture. The second thing that we see here is there's a sheep gate. The sheep gate points us to this idea of the sacrifices, right? The, 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 the Lamb of God had to die in order for us sinners to be saved and to receive God's grace. The third thing in here that points us to this idea of salvation is by grace alone is the actual name Bethesda. It means the house of grace. It means the house of grace. Lastly, Jesus heals him when? He heals him on the Sabbath day, proving that adherence to the law, keeping of the law, has absolutely nothing to do with the man's healing. The man wasn't keeping the Sabbath. Nothing was happening in those contexts. This is, this is uh, pointing strictly to the idea that salvation is by grace. So John says that there was a multitude of people, and he calls them invalids. And he said they were, they were blind, they were lame, and they were paralyzed. And this is a picture of our condition before God, apart from the grace of God. Before God, apart from the grace of God, without Jesus dying on a cross for our sins and God extending His grace to us, we are blind, we are lame, and we are paralyzed in our efforts to achieve a right standing with God. See, we have no power to fix ourselves. That's the reality that we all face. We have no power to fix ourselves. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When he says, for while we were still weak, meaning we had no power, we couldn't even get up off of the floor to walk ourselves in the direction of God. Not only were we weak, not only did we have no power to fix ourselves, but we were spiritually blind with no sense of direction. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, and 3, 1 through 3. It says, and, while, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carving out or carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were uh, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, uh, Paul would say that his ministry was given to him for Christ for this reason. Listen to this in Acts chapter 26 verse 18. Paul's ministry was given to him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, so there's an idea of blindness that you could turn from darkness to light and that uh, and from the power of Satan to God. Paul's ministry said, hey, listen, I came to help blind people see. I, helped, I came to preach this idea of salvation through grace so that people could turn from Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and place and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we were we had no power to fix ourselves. We were spiritually blind with no ability to make like blind people don't just walk around and go, "Okay, I'm going to see right now." And you can see. Dead people don't choose to come to life. Dead people have to be brought back to life. Jesus, and by the way, Jesus didn't come to resuscitate us. You weren't somebody who was almost dead. Jesus came to resurrect us. You were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Jesus had to make us alive. We were not only spiritually blind with no sense of direction and healing, but we were also paralyzed without hope. And waiting for someone to help us. Listen to how Paul describes this in Ephesians 2.12. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having, what's that? No hope and without God in the world. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. That is our condition apart from the grace of of God, looking. So here, here's why we, here's why um, we need to answer. There's a question we need to answer real quick. Why was he laying around? So there's all these blind people, these lame people, these uh, people that is uh, they're described as invalids. They're all laying around. Why are they laying around? What are they waiting for? Why are they all gathered at this place? We get a clue as to why in verse four. Which if you're reading the ESV. And a lot of other modern translations, there is no verse 4. If you'll notice, it goes 1, 2, 3, 5. This is one of those things that we've been walking through on Wednesday nights, by the way. A plug for you to come on Wednesday nights, study with us through the book of Acts. We would love to have you. There's plenty of room, I promise you. You come right on. And we've been studying through the book of Acts, and here's what happens numerous times. There's, there's two different texts, okay, that we get the New Testament from. I mean, they're all Greek, but there's, there's two main texts. There's the there's the Alexandrian text and there's the Textus Receptus. And so as they've uncovered these texts, some, some texts uh, like verse 4, there are some who believe that it was kind of added in as, as a way to bring clarity to a situation where there seemed to be a gap. And it wasn't, it, didn't, it wasn't added in as in the sense of it changed the meaning of anything. It just was some people found these texts and said, hey, there's a verse here that's not here. Let's put them in. So in your Bible, if you don't have verse 4, if you look down in the footnotes, it'll tell you that, there is a, that there's a verse possibly missing here. But here's what that verse says in verse 4, and it's not on the screen, but I'll give it to you. It says, um, so basically, he's waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and he stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So these lame people get the picture. There was a, there was a tradition, if you will, whether it was real or not, we don't know, but there was at least a tradition, a belief that existed so that people would go to this place. They would go to the pool of Bethesda and there was a belief that the angel would come and he would dip like his wing in the water and the first person after that angel stirred the waters, the first person in would be healed. Can you imagine? I've seen how some of y'all act to be the first person in Walmart on Black Friday. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine... You are in a place where you need healing and you need it like right now. There is no waiting. And so there's all these people gathered around this pool. And when someone believes that the water's been stirred, there's now a race or a fight to be the first one in because the belief was is that the first one in would be healed. Can you imagine? 
And so the reason that they're all laying around the pool of Bethesda is because they're waiting for the water to be stirred. Now think about this. What if you're this man? What if you are paralyzed? I mean, let's take a look in verse 5 and see how he is described. One man who uh, was there, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Listen, I don't know how long you've gone through some difficulties, but 38 years is a long time. He had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. There is a man who has been, uh, he has been an invalid for 38 years. 38. 38 years he's had this issue. 38 years he's gone to the pool of Bethesda, got close enough to it, and he waits. All right, and wait for the angel to stir the waters. And his story is before, first of all, I have no one to carry me down in there. And then the only thing I can really do is maybe drag myself by kind of crawling with my arms. And before I can get in there, someone beats me to it. Can you imagine the struggle, the mental struggle, the God, where are you struggle? The God, why is it this way struggle? Could you imagine the struggle that this man would face on a daily basis? 38 years, he has been helpless and in a hopeless condition. This man is not in a good condition, and there are some, uh, there are some people, there are some who use people going through difficulties as an excuse to not believe in God. You've probably heard it before. If God's so good, if your God is so good, then why does he let bad things happen to good people? First of all, if anybody ever asks you that question, you just tell them that that is a, that is a bad question. That's a bad question. It's a false question. I mean, you can, it's an unanswerable question. You want to know why? Because the Bible says there is no one good, no, not one. None of us on our best day are good. And so therefore, good things or bad things can't happen to good people in God's economy because according to God, there are none good. That's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Second, here's, so here's the thing. The second thing we do is we end up in difficult places in life for various reasons, right? So some people go, well, if your God is so good, then why does he let good things happen to, or bad things happen to good people? But the reality is, is we all end up sometimes in bad places in life. Can I get an amen? I mean, we all are going to go through some sort of struggle. Now, let me tell you, let me give you four reasons that people end up in difficult places in life apart from God's goodness, you say, wait a minute, how can bad places be God's goodness? James 1, 2, just going to let you throw it out there. You can go read it and study it for yourself. James 1, 2, he says, rejoice when you face trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Okay, So God does sometimes bring bad things into our life or what we perceive as bad things in order to strengthen us and help us, which is why Paul would also say in Romans that God works all things together for the good. Okay, But when it comes to difficulties in life, there are generally four reasons that difficulties come into our life. Number one, it's called the fall. It happened in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, you can go back and read Genesis. The fall of mankind, when, when the fall happened, everything came with it. Everything that's difficult that we experience came with it. Uh, ladies, you know, the, the whole child birthing thing, that happened at the fall. Um, cancer, 
heart disease, COVID, all of these things happen as a result of the fall. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought COVID was man-made. Yep, that, that too is a result of the fall because sinful man would only be the type of person. Somebody with a, a fallen heart like me would be the only one that would be willing to create such a thing in, other to, in order to hurt other people. So it's all a result of the fall. So the, the first reason that we face difficulty in life is, number one, the fall. Second, demonic activity. And people go, whoa, 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 don't get all weird. Like demonic activity? Oh yeah, there's demonic activity. I've seen it. Like I've seen people, I've gone to foreign countries, I've seen things happen, okay? And if there's no such thing as demonic activity, then explain, explain addictions because that is just pure demonic. That's like throwing the bait, people following, and people wrestle with that stuff. Like, we fight our demons, right? People go through addictions. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, if you don't believe in demonic activity, Paul would say this, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh, and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul points to the reality that we still face and fight demonic activity. So one is the fall, two is demonic activity. Number three, the third reason we face difficulty in life, I just got to be real honest and this is going to hurt just a little bit and that'll be all right. The third reason we face difficulty in life, let me say it this way, your sin my sin. The reason you face difficulty is a direct result of your sin. The reason that I face difficulty in life, one of the reasons is my sin. When we sin, we face what are called consequences. Grace comes in, you can be forgiven of your sins, but we are not necessarily forgiven of our consequences. Okay? So, I've had people sit in my office before, and you've probably heard people say things like this to you. They come in and they go, I mean, with tears in their eyes. Why is God letting this happen to me? And the, the, the really difficult truth is God's not letting this happen to you. Listen, your financial struggle has nothing to do with God allowing bad things to happen in your life. It's not some kind of demon oppression. The reason you have financial struggles and the reason that you probably have financial issues is because you have what are called spending issues. Men, do not make eye contact right now. Your life depends on it, okay? Thank you, Amazon. Thank you, Walmart pickup and Walmart order online and all those other places that you shop, Bath and Body and wherever else y'all's wives go. Yeah, right? I mean, like, you have financial struggles, not because God's punishing you. You have financial struggles because you got you issues. Your marriage problems are not the result of God letting bad things happen in your life. Your marriage problems are, are a direct result of you self-inflicting harm into your marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Women, submit to your husbands. And I don't mean submit like in the way that, you know, guys like to throw that out. Woman, submit, right? That doesn't work either, guys. Don't use that line. But it's this whole idea that in a relationship, if a husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church, how did Christ love the church? He died for it. He laid his life down, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he just walks all over you and that your whole job, that your whole life is to stand barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. That's not it, okay? I mean, what he's saying is, sub, watch, submit to your husbands. In other words, 
put yourself under the leadership, the spiritual leadership of your husband. That, that, that means husbands, we have to be spiritual leaders. Submit yourself to the spiritual leadership of your husband. And here's what happens. This beautiful thing happens. As men are laying their life down for their husband and women are submitting, or as men lay their life down, not for their husband. That's a whole other sermon. Don't do it. <laughs> Woo. All right. So as men, lay, as men lay their lives down for their wives, so they sacrificially love their lives and as, uh, their wives. As women, as women, submit themselves to their husband there's this beautiful thing that happens where we begin just serving one another and as we're serving one like no one ever comes into my office and says hey we need marital counseling okay well tell me what's going on he won't quit serving me she won't quit serving me that never happens okay just do what the bible says the reason that we find ourselves in difficult places is oftentimes because of our own sin okay and that's hard, but it's the truth. Quit living in this world where we blame everybody else for our problems. Your problems are usually self-created, okay? Not always, but most of the time, they are self-created. And here's the, here, that brings me to the fourth point. Sometimes the difficulties that we face in life are because of other people's sins. Parents, if you've ever had a child that has just went crazy and sinned against you, it causes pain in your life. When your coworkers gossip about you, that creates pain in your life. When people on your campus, when they talk bad about you, when they post on Facebook or Instagram or social media of any kind, when they post about you, it creates difficulty in your life. Sometimes the sin of others creates difficulties in our own lives. If, if somebody is driving under the influence and kills someone, the family suffers, you see. Sometimes, sometimes the difficulties that we face in life are due to to the sins of other people. And Jesus, now here's the crazy thing about this. I don't know if you guys caught this the first time I read through it, but there's this crazy moment for me in this passage. Here's a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus approaches him and asks the biggest duh question in I think all of scripture. Jesus, this guy's laying by the pool. Jesus walks up to him. And he says, um, do you want to be healed? Like, Jesus, he's laying by the pool because he wants to be healed. Why in the world are you asking that question? Like, right? I mean, I mean come on, Jesus, you can figure this out. You created the universe. You're, 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 you're omniscient. You're omnipotent. You're omnipresent. You got all this stuff going on for you. You should know the answer to this question. Jesus didn't ask this question because Jesus needed to be informed. He asked this question for another reason and the reason is is because the how-to is always preceded by the want to you know this right I mean you have to want to be healed in order to be healed you ever you ever met somebody with an addiction problem until they want to healing is not going to take place you have to want to be healed in order to be healed you have to get to that place in your life where you are so tired of living in your current circumstances that you desire another one. It's not about just desiring to change. It's about the pain of staying the same. And sometimes we just got to get to that place where it's so painful for us to be right where we are that we go, hey, you know what? It's time for me to change. And Jesus looks at this man who we know is ready to be healed. He's been laying there for 38 years and he says, do you want to be healed? That's a great question for every one of us to ask 
here this morning. Do you want to be healed? Unfortunately, we all know people that do not want to be healed. And here's, the, here's what's so difficult about that, because we see the pain that it causes in their life. They know the pain that it causes in their life because they tell us about it, right? They tell you about it, they tell me about it, and they're like, I can't, like, my life is just so difficult, it's so painful. It's like, well, hey, man, let me get you some help. I, I, I don't know. Hey, let me, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. And if you'll follow him, I promise you, he can deliver you from whatever demon it is you're fighting. He can deliver you from any addiction that you're facing. Let me just, yeah, I know, I know about Jesus. Just not ready to, to go there yet. See, unfortunately, we all know people that they don't want to be healed. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a baby and it's stinky diaper, right? It stinks, but it's mine and it's warm and I'm just going to sit in it for a little while. Sorry for the visual. And this is a great question. Do you want to be healed? Jesus asks. And the, man respo- the man's response to Jesus was not what most of us would have said. Like if I'm in that condition, if I'm 38 years by a pool waiting for an angel and then winning the race to get in it to be first so that I can be healed. If I'm the guy, if Jesus walks up and says, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, do you want to be healed? I'm like, yes, I want to be healed. When and wh- how are we doing this? Let's, let's do it right now. But it's, it's interesting, the guy, the guy immediately after Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed, he says, sir, I, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. The man was still looking to the pool as the source of his healing and for other people to get him there. The word, of, the word Jesus used for healing is this, it's called uh, hoogies. Everybody say hoogies. That wasn't everybody. Y'all are just like big chief no fun. Everybody say hoogies. Hoogies. When Jesus says healing, he says hoogies. And it means a complete and whole healing. He's not just trying to heal the man's body. He's trying to heal that man's body and his soul. And here's the deal. It's not... Again, it's not just a physical healing, it's a whole healing. And there is, there is, this man, when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He starts going, well, I, you know, the pool hasn't been stirred and I don't know if I've got anybody that's going to help me get there. Here's the thing. There is no thing and there is no person in this world that has the power to heal you of what ails you. There is only one Savior. And his name is not stimulus. His name is not bailout. His name is not the guy or the girl that you're going to fill in the blank right there that you think is going to make your life all great. His name is not new job. It is not new car. It is not new home. It is not new hair. It is not new nails. His name is Jesus. And he is the savior of the world. And he did not come to give you new stuff. He came to make you new. Thank you, Kurt. The rest of you, do you want to be healed? Kurt's all in, man. Kurt is like, heal me? Yes, Lord Jesus. Do, y'all want to be, do you want to be healed? That's a great, great question. Do you want to be healed? And only you can answer that question. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9, uh, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And here is just the most amazing thing. Can you imagine sitting there like, because there's other invalids around. I mean, it's not like he's the only guy. 
And so could you imagine like you're, you're, you're laying there, you're watching all this take place. Jesus says, you want to be healed? Well, you know, the, the pool had been stirred up and I don't have any, like, I'm sure there were other people going, me, right? Like me over here, you can heal me. And the moment Jesus says, Jesus says, look, um, take up your mat and walk. And dude gets up and he just starts strolling. Can you imagine the moment for that man? And here's the, here's the amazing thing. Invalid for 38 years, one of the, you know, we see the miracle of, oh, here was a guy who couldn't walk. Now he can walk. There's so much depth to this miracle. Not only could he, listen, if you hadn't walked in 38 years, you have no muscle tone. You probably don't even have the coordination to walk. So instantaneously, this man gets muscle mass and he gets balance and coordination so that his brain can tell his feet and his legs what to do. And this man gets up, he takes his mat, and he begins to walk. And for this man, the bed or the mat It represented the thing that he laid on for 38 years. Jesus didn't say, leave your bed. He said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Why does he tell him to take up his bed or his mat? Why? It was was not meant to define who he was because he's not that person anymore. See, when, when Jesus saves us, yes, we have a past. But it's not who we are anymore. There's things that I think about my past prior to my relationship with Christ that I am absolutely 100% ashamed of. But I'm not that person. They are there to remind me just like this mat. They're not there to define me. This mat was for this man that as he strolled through town. Could you imagine? I mean, I, how would y'all walk through town with your mat? I need some people to come up and demonstrate. Like... Like, would you walk with your mat behind your back? Like, I don't want anybody to know I used to be on a mat. Would you, would you kind of walk and if you saw somebody, hey, I'm going to hide it around the corner. Hey, how you doing? No. Jesus said, I want you to get up, take up your mat and walk. And I can imagine that dude was strutting through town with his mat on his shoulder or however he would have carried it. And he was walking with a limp, not because his legs hurt. He was walking with one of them cool limps. You know what I'm talking about? He was strutting through town. Why is he, why is Jesus so adamant that he does this? Again, it was not meant to define who he was. It was meant to be a reminder to him and to everyone who would ever see him. That he was once an invalid and he is now completely made whole. People like this man were not allowed to enter the temple, which the temple for the people in that day represented the presence of God. If you could get into the temple, it represented, uh, the temple represented where the presence of God was at. So he was not able to go because he's been an invalid for 38 years. He has not been able to enter into the temple. He was no longer an invalid, or let me say it this way, he was no longer in Valid. He had been validated by the love of God and the grace of God, which came through Christ Jesus. And look and look at what happens in verses 14 and 15. We're going to skip down a little bit and wrap up here. Afterward, so there's some things that take place, some questioning that happened with the man between the, the religious leaders. In verse 14, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, notice where he's at. He's where? He's in the temple. 
The grace of God in our life, the fact that we have been given forgiveness and given salvation, not because we were worth it, but because God's love for us ought to drive us to the place of worship together. Okay? What God has done in my life leads me to worship. I don't worship God to get something out of Him. I don't worship God. Some people have this view of God like, if I, if I don't worship Him, He's going to let something bad happen in my life. It's not what God's doing. But we should worship God out of adoration for what He's done for us. The fact that He would send His Son Jesus to lay His life down, that through Him we might receive the grace of God. And people, again, like this man, were not allowed to enter the temple. And He was no longer invalid he was validated his worth had been validated and now he's in the temple in verse 14 and Jesus said to him see you are well watch this sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you this points back to something that we pointed out earlier sometimes the things that we go through in life are a direct result of our own sin Jesus and this also tells us another truth and we're going to wrap up as our musicians make their way to the stage Jesus does not just care about your salvation moment. He also cares about the rest of your life. Jesus says, listen, I've saved you. I've rescued you. By grace, you have been made whole. You have been made well. You have returned to the temple. But here's what I want you to know. Go and sin no more. That something worse may not happen to you. Go and sin no more. Listen, church. One of the things that we have been called to do is we have been called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are, we are His body. We are His representatives in the world that we live in. We, we are to go out and live our lives in such a way that people will believe the message that we preach. And this is what He tells this man. Go and sin no more that nothing worse may come of you. With every eye closed every head bowed. We're going to go into a time of invitation. So question this morning. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? 